This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Kwame Kusatsu. I play Admiral Nakamura on Star Trek Next Generation and welcome you all to Trek FM. The old grey heart. Welcome listeners to another cup of Earl Grey. I'm your host, Joe Keegan, and joined with me today is the ageless and aesthetically pleasing Amy Nelson. Amy, how are you today? I am doing just fine. Thank you, Joe. You have all the A adjectives going on there. I, I googled them, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> you know our command of the English language being STEM teachers isn't so good. Yes. Um, so yeah, we thought with ageless because you are so old. Yes, that keep, numbers don't go that high. You keep teasing me about that. Yes. Yeah, but you look good today. You've scrubbed up well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it gets a little annoying that I'm not dressing up every day. And so today I was like, you know what? Let's just get ready for the day. Makeup and hair done. Apparently they say you should do that. Try and have some routine in your life and get up and get dressed yeah. and put on normal clothes and go out for a walk and have something to do and not don't just sit in despair. So Yeah, I have noticed with this quarantine thing that I do not have enough yoga pants or sweatpants because <laughs> yes yeah. I feel you yeah although I live my life in shorts and t-shirts and joggies oh so I've got lots of them mm. so I'm, I'm I'm okay yeah I think hey Joe oh, yeah Amy um I found this little thing that I think you might enjoy it's called <laughs> 15 American slang words British people can't understand. Ah, uh, nonsense. <laughs> uh, I will understand every one of them. I know, and I'm reading through them, and I'm like, what? Come on now. So I'm sure you will get them, but this is okay. according <laughs> to Indie 100. Um, oh. Do you know what pass the buck means? To pass the buck, yep. to like assign blame to someone else. Yes, that is correct. Uh, do you know what going Dutch means? To split the bill? Yes, everyone pays their own. Very good. Um, what does sweet mean? Like, sweet, cool. Yeah. A sweet, yeah. I know. Like, these are ridiculous. Everyone knows this. Okay. Um, what does uh, bought the farm mean? Oh, uh, passed away. To die. Oh, no. It does? To buy the, buy the farm? No. Well, buy the farm? No. No? <laughs> Means to move to the countryside. No, that's to buy a farm. <laughs> bought the farm. I'm sure. <laughs> but he bought the farm. I bought, he, like, he kicked the bucket. I, I would have to agree farm. with you on that. 
Uh, ND100, you've got it wrong. <laughs> yep. Okay, next. Okay, do you know what jonesing is? Jonesing? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've never heard that one. But I'm going to guess it like kidding. I, like as in making a joke. I would have to agree, but however, on this website, it means that you're craving something. I'm jonesing for ice cream. Oh, like having a hankering. Yes. 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 Uh, do you know what uh, John Hancock means? Like, give me your John Hancock. Like signature? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know where that comes from? A cowboy. Oh, no. Like John Wayne. He, he was the uh, last signature on the Declaration of Independence. Oh, of course he was. Yes. Okay, do you know uh, what it means to ride shotgun? Yeah, to get the passenger seat. Yeah. I know. See, these are so easy. We use them. We use that as well. Yeah. Um, what does the phrase for the birds mean? Pointless. Yes. Meaningless. Okay. Trivial. Yep. And uh, <laughs> this is stupid. Put up your dukes. Oh, let's fight. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one, one more. Okay. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know what a carpet bagger is? A carpet bagger. I've heard it. Sounds sexual, but I know it isn't. No, it's um, not. A homeless person? Oh, no. No, that's a really good guess. Okay. Uh, it's a politician who's seeking election for somewhere they aren't from. Who knew? Yeah. So. Hmm. There you have it. Thank you. You did I quite got well. One million points. You did, absolutely. Thank you. Shall we move on? Yes. Cool. Let's get to some Babel Conference feedback. And this is for Earl Grey 318, which was the time travel fan collection set. Amy, could you take it away? Yes. Matthew Benware writes in and says, Great episode. I took a break from Trek for a bit and came back to this gem of an episode. Well done, Joe and Amy. Oh. Well, thank you, Matthew. Uh, sometimes you need a little break every once in a while. So it's good to have you back. Yeah, and thanks for your comment. Um, I was really worried about it just being you and I, Amy. Yeah, it worked well. I think we work well together. We do. We do. Our friendship shone through. So thank you, Matthew. Johnson Lai says, I'm with Joe. I'm firmly in the DS9 made a bigger impact on me camp. Makes me cry every single time without fail. But I felt TNG, um, DS9 and Voyager all had finales that satisfied the spirit of their respective shows. Sorry, Enterprise. Thanks, Johnson. Yeah, because Enterprise had that abysmal series finale with Riker and Troy in it. And it was a a holodeck mission or something. It was just Yeah, a follow-up on Pegasus. I know. Oh, well, yeah, wasn't it? It Yeah, it wasn't good. But Voyager was good. They eventually got home and... Destroyed all the Borg everywhere. We have Michael Bentley, and I had to edit his, so uh, sorry, Michael, but I do want to read a portion of what he wrote. He says, this was great fun. Each episode you discussed was one I loved, and I agree with Amy that Cause and Effect is mainly a Beverly episode. One of my favorite moments is when you just hear the glass smash over the intercom and her voice saying, I'm fine. It's oddly chilling, I think. And the way each loop is filmed differently and with increasing script differences as the crew work things out is marvelous. It does feel strange not to have Justin on the show as he's been such a presence on Earl Grey for so long. But you are both doing a great job and I laughed a lot on the episode. By the way, I've always felt that Time Zero is oddly underrated so it was great to hear you talk about it. 
Apart from its entertainment value and the sheer audacity of Mark Twain being in it, it's amazing that, as far as I can tell, the complex, timey-wimey stuff makes complete sense and there are no contradictions. It's also a great Guinan episode, and the scene where Picard takes care of her in the cave is so touching. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, I when you wrote about that uh, glass smashing and Beverly saying, I'm fine, just reading that gives me the chills. I, I love cause and effect for that, so... Yeah, I wish I had Michael's skill at social media because he's really good at commenting, but thoughtfully. So thanks for that, Michael. Can I call out one of our listeners? Yes, here? please. Yes. Maybe not in a good way. Kevin Parlagreco. Kevin. Yes, I Did saw. Did you see his comment? Is this he was not on my own the personal. best listener ever? No. Yes, Nobody he likes is. him. He has no friends. <laughs> So yeah, Kevin Parlagreco, and that's the last name, the last time I'll say his name, on my own personal Facebook wall, so I'm free to share it with whomever I please, said, anything Joe does, Amy does better. Everything Amy does is better than Joe. Yes! This is blatantly incorrect. I'm going <laughs> to file an injunction. Oh my gosh. Kevin, thank you so much. Uh, really means a lot. Because I can do it better. Better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Thank you, Kevin, for your comment. Mm -hmm. Let's move on then. <laughs> we, have a, we have a very super special guest who's been on Earl Grey before in the form of Pierre Larocco. Pierre, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. As well as can be expected, I suppose, given these strange and interesting times that we live in. But it's great to have you back on. It's great to be here. Now, for our listeners that maybe have missed a few episodes, Pierre was last on Earl Grey 285 when we were talking about Worf's brother, Kern. And that was in July 2019. So it's approaching a year. Well, maybe not, but approaching it. I'm rounding up yes. to a year, obviously. So, And it's great. We have three educators on. Yes, we, we do. do. But Amy does the least educating, I feel, because you get the most holidays, <laughs> don't you? Joe! No, it's true. You just get all the holidays, like, you're off for, like, three weeks now, and then you finish up in May, and you don't go back till September, and then your Christmas holidays start in, like, October, <laughs> and you don't go back until February. No, remember I start early August, which is going to put a cramp on my STLV. Anyways, let's raise our spirits a little and talk about something fun. Today, listeners, we are talking about... The TNG episode, Birthright, which was a two-part episode in season six. And just to mention it for the record that Deep Space Nine here, this is the first time that we see it having been fully rendered and visualized in high definition, and it looks phenomenally good. What do you guys think? Yeah, I remember, I remember when I was a kid seeing the episode for the first time, getting all excited that Deep Space Nine was going to be on TNG. Yes. Um, and yeah. I, I believe the DS9 music is going on when the, the opening happens. Oh, you might be right. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to listen to that again. Yeah, I think I missed that. Yeah, it was really nice to see Deep Space Nine and some familiar characters on TNG. I'm in the middle of my Deep Space Nine rewatch. I'm at uh, season six, episode 20, I believe. 
So it was nice to see it on my TNG. You're right in the thick of the Dominion War then, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Have you seen it before, Amy? Uh, y- yeah. I'm just okay, going through so it again. Is that a rewatch? Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Let's first talk about Data's experience. He has this new experience where he meets Dr. Bashir, who's the chief medical officer on board Deep Space Nine. And he's got this alien device they're not entirely sure what it is. And then through testing it, Data gets hit with a plasma shock, which renders him unconscious for a while. And turns out it kind of gives him the ability to dream, we think. Or it activates a part of his programming that Dr. Soong meant to be kind of a dream kind of escape world. What do we think of this, Pierre? Uh, so I want to first point out the fact that Bashir has some sort of equipment that he doesn't know what it is. And he's like, let's plug it in, right? Like... That seems super risky, but they're they're all about it. It's it's the wonders of their wonderment mine in Star Trek, where they're like, oh, let's see what it does. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I like to just plug things in and see what they do, and hopefully it doesn't blow up in yeah. my face. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was neat. It was. I found it weird that he took it to sickbay. I know he explained that sickbay has better scanners or whatever um, than he has on board Deep Space Nine, but for a piece of tech... Sick Bay seemed like an odd place to go. I would probably go to a science lab or engineering, which is where they, we see them do these types of experiments. Well, I think with Bashir being a doctor that he's most comfortable with the equipment in medical. So I think that was his first gut instinct. And then, you know, Data says, well, let's uh-huh. take it down to engineering. That's going to be more, you know, able to analyze things better. One thing that I did love about that um, was that Bashir seemed to ask Data like the same type of questions that we saw uh, Agnes Girardi ask Soji when when Girardi meets Soji for the first time. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I loved that. I loved that connection and seeing that because Bashir's like, does your hair grow? Are you breathing? And those were the same type of questions that we saw Girardi asked Soji. So I thought that was very interesting how those were similar. Yeah, they're not technical questions. They're just more... Medical. Yeah, like how human are you kind of questions. Yep. That's interesting. I didn't pick up on that, Amy. So that's a good, that's a good shout. Do we think that Data is experiencing dreaming? Is it like the way we dream? And that when we dream, our brain does something to kind of order our thoughts and our memories and kind of think through things or highlight things that we might be worrying about and kind of magnify so them. I was thinking of that I don't know because towards the end of the of the the second dream sequence with data Dr. Soon says no man should know where his dreams come from it spoils the mystery and the fun so it mm. is soon saying that these are pre-programmed that he that he put in there and they're going to roll out in whatever sequence he decided pre-decided them to roll out but then also Soon didn't know that Data was going to be a Starfleet officer on the Enterprise. So how how are the Enterprise's corridors in there and the bridge in the dreams? Yeah, yeah. You know, so so I wasn't sure. That was a good that was a good question, but I thought of that too. So maybe it's more like a program that Soon has made that's a randomized thought program where it's going to pick different aspects of his experience day to day. Um, and put them together in some weird collection of thoughts and sequences, which to us would appear to be a dream. Yeah. Do you really believe that your dreams mean nothing, Pierre? Yeah, I do believe they mean nothing. I I rarely dream, 
but when I do, they're just they're kind of just like random images about either mainly things that I know of, or um, or things that I was involved in, like a meeting or something like that. But uh, yeah, I don't think they mean anything. Pierre, what's wrong with you? Why do you dream about meetings? <laughs> Joe, do you believe that your dreams mean something? Yes and no. Sometimes, like I have a recurring dream, um, like every year when it's coming up to like a big production in school that I'm in charge of, like the Christmas Panto or our school summer musical production. Maybe about two months before it, I'll have a dream that we're on the first night of the show and we haven't organised like anything. We don't have a cast, we don't have a crew. We, we don't, I didn't buy scripts. And the audience are coming in and like nobody's done anything and I'm supposed to be in a costume or something and it's just... So I think dreams serve to highlight things that you're worrying about because I'm a really bad procrastinator. I will leave things to the last minute and dreams sometimes help me, can I say, right, if I did things sooner and got my life more organised, then I would I would be less stressed about things. So, But other times, like I once dreamt I was Gandalf in the middle of Mordor and there was these like, there was black, oily slicks with creatures like growing in them and like slugs and weird, horrible darkness. Like the skin the of evil? Kind of, yeah. It was like muddy horribleness. And I was like Gandalf, so I'm like super powerful. So I just like had my staff and two-handedly slammed the staff down as like, let there be light and the ground cracked. And the, the clouds cracked and light shone down. And when the light hit the ground, f- like flowers grew and good life, positive life sprung forth. Wow. See, if I had dreams like that, my answer might be different. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think that dreams do mean something. I mean, not all of them, but I think it definitely is a way for your brain to, you know, sort of categorize things and... Mm. For 20 years, I've been teaching 20 years, every year, like you said, Joe, a month or so before school starts, I have the dream of like yours being unprepared or that students aren't listening to me. Like it's always either unprepared or a discipline. I can't control my class while I'm teaching. So Mm. I have those every year. I have um, a... My favorite dreams are when I get to see my grandma and grandpa um, who have passed on. And uh, I have a very large family and we used to do family reunions um, before grandma and grandpa passed. And so I will have just these random reunion, family reunion dreams where I get to see a lot of my cousins and grandma's there, grandpa's there. And those are just so dear to my heart for obvious reasons. But I really feel that uh, that there is meaning behind our dreams. And I like to sort of analyze my dreams a lot. Well, that's a really good point. I do have one dream that I have that's a recurring dream that's pretty vivid. It's not a very happy it's, – it's a school shooter dream, uh, actually, oh. where, where we have – where school shooters at our school, which is it, – it's not, it's not fun at all. Um, usually happen. I usually get them in September when the school year is starting, but, um, the listeners probably don't, I'm an assistant principal at a high school in the United States. Um, but yeah, so, um, I do have that dream pretty often. Yeah. And that is sad that we have to worry about that because that is 
definitely on our mind. Let's move on and talk about the news that Worf gets. And he gets this news from a guy called Jaglum Shrek, who's a Eurydian. And Jaglum Shrek is played by none other than James Cromwell, who played Zephyrin Cochrane in First Contact, played Nerok, the Prime Minister of Angosia 3 in TNG Season 3, Episode 11, The Hunted, and also played Hanok, the Karama Commerce Minister from Deep Space Nine's Season 4, Episode 7, Starship Down. So, right, trust Zephyrin Cochrane to be in everything. Yeah, that's awesome. And he's got such a distinctive voice. You just, even though he's always in tons of makeup, with the exception of when he played that Angosian Prime Minister and Zephyrin Cochrane, you just know it's James Cromwell. So, Pierre, what is this news that Worf gets? Worf gets this news that the not all the Klingons at the Kittimore outposts were killed and some were taken prisoner. And that um, this traitor knows where they where the prison camp is and that his father, Moog, is one of them. And Worf is not happy at this news. He is not. Because he's like, my father died at Kittimore. That's exactly what he says, yes. Yeah. Well, in part because we had, you know, with Worf getting discommodated, you know, with the Klingon... High Council. I mean, he has, in my opinion, put this to rest. And then it comes up in season six. Like, that is what I would feel just devastating news after he's gone through so much, you know, dishonor with his family and stuff like that to have this come up again. And it would cause more dishonor. It would. Because his father didn't die a, a, an honourable death fighting the Romulans at Kittimore. As he says it to Troy after he breaks his table. It was like it would, for three generations, it would bring dishonor. Even Alexander yes. would feel the effects. And can I just mention real quick yes, that uh, both times that tables have been broken by Klingons, the first one being Kalar and the second one being in this episode, Worf, that Deanna Troy comes in after Klingon smashing tables. What does this mean, Amy? It means that Troy is very in tune with her Klingon counterparts. Um, and Troy does some amazing counseling with Worf. I'm just going to point out. She really, really does. She listens. She gives him space that he needs. She asks important questions. You know, is this dishonor more important than the truth? And sort of gets Worf to thinking about, well, the truth is more important than dishonor. So just a little bit of trivia that every time a table crashes, Troy is right there. She can sense when a Klingon's breaking a table. Yes. Or Troy can talk to tables. She doesn't talk to the table. She might sense its pain, having been broken. You know, she's very intuitive. She She knows these things. So how would we feel, assuming we were in a similar situation to Worf, how would we feel as humans that our fathers were still alive and survived a battle where they should have been long dead? I don't think I would have the same reaction as Worf. Worf kind of wants his dad to be dead. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. To preserve his honour. I think as a human, I'd be quite happy and I'd be like, give me a ship, I'm going to get him. Yeah, I think I would be uh, happy to know that my father is still alive. Yeah, so it's just a uniquely Klingon thing because of the the honour or dishonour associated with it. I I think it is. And I think we kind of see that, um, not not spelled out directly, but how easy... Or it seemed to be easy. Worf had the time to just go and go look for his father, right? Like we we didn't get like there was no we didn't get to see any kind of um, give or take with him and Picard when he told Picard he was leaving and you need to pick me up 
here at this place. Like, it seemed like it was very easy for him to just go. It seems like, you know, the Federation and, you know, Picard and Riker and them have that mentality kind of like we would, where they were like, yeah, go get your dad. And I don't think there's a scene where he asks permission. He just seems to kind of automatically get permission and just go and do it, which implies that the Enterprise is going to be there for quite a while. Yeah, and that's what I was saying, because the Enterprise is docked there and they have to deal with the um, aqueducts and Bajor and... So they're going to be there. So it's like, all right, going to go on a little away mission. A little personal seems, leave. Seems fair. Yeah. I'm sure that's in the regulations. Yeah. So why not? Okay. Um, next bit we're going to talk about is the interaction that Worf and Data have. And this is just after Worf has found out that his father's potentially still alive. And after Data has his first dream and sees Dr. Soong, his father, in the dream. So what do we think about their interaction at this point? Pierre? I think it's critical to the plot line. Um, I think that that's really where Worf makes his decision to go. Mm. You know, he and it's not by what Data says to Worf, it's by what Worf says to Data and then he's like, "Hmm, I think I I think I'm 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 giving advice that I should take here." You know, Worf says that a father's a part of you always that learning about him teaches you about yourself. That's why no matter what or where he is or what he's done, you must go find him. And then Worf kind of, I think Worf kind of reflects on that, um, you know, within himself. And, you know, he, learning about him teaches you about himself. So he's like, I, I need to learn about what, like, why did my dad decide to be taken prisoner instead of somehow killing himself or something like that? And what can I learn about myself through that? I think they're like questions that he ends up having that he needs to answer. And that's ultimately why he decides to go. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I wrote in my notes, like Worf is talking to himself just as much as he's talking to data. And I feel that these two storylines are running parallel to each other, you know, both talking about their fathers. I mean, that's obvious, but Worf really believes in dreams that dreams tell you something i mean he he believes that it's a revelation that data had this revelation and so to you know find the meaning of that so Worf definitely believes that your dreams do have meaning and encourages data to search that out by any means possible and and we know data later you know talks to picard where i think picard also believes in that there's meanings in these hallucinations or whatever data is having and says, you know, let that, let that inspire you. And so that's where he gets to go off with the paintings and, you know, just letting your brain sort of rest for a minute and explore the strangeness, I I think is definitely really powerful. And Worf is along that same thinking and talks himself into saying, yeah, I need to find the meaning and look for this truth. Yeah, he could have, Data could have gone to speak to literally anybody on board about having a hallucination or having a dream because potentially everybody on board has dreams. But I think it was important that he went to speak to Worf because it tied in their storylines with like kind of having your father there. And, and Data, Data um, says that um, he... he quantifies it by saying i i wanted to talk to you Worf, because i know that you said you had a vision once right yes and yeah. that makes it a little bit different yeah because Worf took part in the the rite of majka 
in the lava caves of Nomat, and the heat induced a hallucinatory effect. Um, and then they talk about it a bit more, and Data says he saw his father. And I think at that point, it's Worf that decides he has to go and find his own father and see if he's still alive. Because he says, it's a very powerful vision that you've had. You're very fortunate. And then he says, there is nothing more important than receiving a revelation about your father. Your father is part of you. Always learning about him teaches you about yourself. That is why no matter where he is or what he has done, you must find him. So he's really convincing himself to go and try and find Moog whether or not he's dead or alive and see what happened to him, if there's any truth to this story that the Uridium brought him. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you guys, um, following this hunch or this dream that you might have had, or has there been a time in your life when you've like followed an intuition? Maybe it wasn't a dream, but, you know, just sort of this hunch where it doesn't really make sense to follow. And what was the outcome and what did you learn about yourself, Pierre? I don't know. I was thinking about that. And there were definitely times and instances in my life where I've I've done things that I felt were right because, and I'm not sure why I felt they were right, um, and they led to good things. Like, um, like I, I had a graduate assistantship, which is um, what paid for my master's degree. Um, and that was kind of like, I just went and spoke to somebody cause it just, it felt like it was the right situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important to kind of, to kind of go with hunches that they do happen and to kind of just kind of put yourself out there sometimes. Joe? I'm not so sure that I've, I've done anything on a hunch, a feeling about something and it's like a gut instinct. I don't think that's the way I necessarily operate. Although... I have a really uncanny ability to fix things, like mechanical, technological. If something's broken, I will find a way to fix it without really knowing how to fix it. So you're following your instincts with that. Is it, or has it just been really kind of scientifically minded and a bit methodical? Okay. You see where things are broken and you figure things out. You break it down into its simplest parts and you put it back together. I think that's the closest thing to instinct about me that there is. I don't I can't think of any specific instances where I've gone with my gut on something. What about you, Amy? I've got a feeling you're gonna say yes. Yeah. Again, going back to a dream that I had. So when I was stupid young, um, I got married to the wrong guy. And um, I had this dream. Uh, it was back when I was really just stupid young, right out of high school. And I had a scholarship to attend just a community college, nothing major. Um, but then I met this guy and I dropped out of college. And um, there were other behind the scene things, but uh, I had this dream and it was January 29th. I still remember the day. And I woke up and this dream told me to go back to school. And I was like, well, I can't go back to school if I'm still with this guy. And then that sort of led me down the thoughts of, hmm, this guy isn't who I need to be with. And I just trusted that dream and told him, you know, we're done. We're going to get a divorce. And life has been much, much better without him. But I had never even considered leaving him until I had that dream and I just sort of went with it. Oh, 
it still it still freaks me out that I listen to my dream because there's been a couple other times, like I said, I like to analyze my dreams, um, but that was probably the bravest thing that I'd done based off of a dream. Wow. And did, did, was the dream so specific or was it a Yes, bit... very oh, specific. Okay. There were other things in the dream that led me to that, but that was the one that I will share. I mean, it was a voice in my head saying, go back to school. So there wasn't a raven and like uh, an anvil? I just remember the voice. The voice (laughs) was very clear, clearly telling me what to do. You gave yourself some good advice there. I did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And I love when Data sort of is analyzing his dream here and is like, well, I don't remember seeing the bird. Like I've seen when he's talking to Jordy in his room and he's explaining the pictures that he's painting. Well, first I drew, you know, my father and and I drew the uh, corridor of the Enterprise. But then I was drawing this bird and the bird is not shown up, you know, on the Enterprise. And I drew the feathers and a flock of birds flying in formation. And Mm -hmm. then he goes back into his dream state and his father's like, you are the bird. And then the bird flies off. And oh my gosh, I get the chills with that every time. It's like, yes, just be free and let let your dreams just flow over you. Oh, I love that scene. Be the bird. There is something quite profound about that. Like Data's question of what is the bird? And his father, the vision of his father says, you are the bird. Yeah. And it ties everything in together. And I think what you say, is right, that it's about being free and embracing this new experience, this new dream setting that he finds himself in. And it's, a, for Data, it's a step closer to him being human. Yeah, and, and it's also interesting that, that Soong is making the bird wing, right? Before, so you see Soong's blacksmithing this this bird wing, he's forging it, and then, you, and then there's a bird, and Data's like, who's the bird? And he's like, you're the bird. And, you know, the previous sequence was you see soon making a bird. Oh, yes. It all seems really obvious, doesn't it? Like, soon created data. Soon's mm-hmm. making the wing using, like, a, a mechanical process of blacksmithery or whatever you call it. Um, that data would be the bird. Yeah. It's quite nice. It's yeah, quite it neat and tidy. Okay. We're going to move on now and talk about Worf's search. Let's back to Worf. He's decided to go on his his quest mm-hmm. to find what happened to Moog, and he forces the Eridian to go with him as kind of insurance that he's telling the truth and it's not a trap or anything like that. I looked at this a little. I like sometimes the technical things. So I pulled mm-hmm. up I pulled up a map. I always pull up a map, no matter what episode I'm watching. I'm like, where is this in the, in the world of, of Star Trek? And um, Caridia 4, uh, which is the planet is in the Romulan Star Empire. And it's also six sectors away from Deep Space Nine. And the Federation's only about six sectors wide, so it's it's clear across from where they were at. Like, it's quite a journey that he, he takes on. A journey of potentially months in a little ship. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it would, would have to be, because it did not take some like eight weeks to cross the Federation at maximum warp, and they just go in a little kind of shuttlecraft right. thing. But like, I like the details as well. Okay, so Worf gets to Caridia 4, um, and he makes his way through the forest, and then this whole thing with Bael 
is a little bit creepy because it feels like she's, what, 18, 19, 20? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Worf's like in his 30s, potentially. I would say late 20s. I don't know about late 20s. Tw- I, I think Worf is... Early 30s. I think so, because he was born 2340 um, and TNG started in 2364 and this is season 6. So minimum 30 years old. Okay. So I yeah, the whole thing with her kind of having a bath in the in the yeah, lagoon or that whatever was it is. A little like, weird. Yeah. It was weird how long they lingered on it. <laughs> yes. Like I could see him stumbling <laughs> over it, but it was weird that, that they that that the producers and such decided to linger on it. I feel like we are going to linger on it yeah. when it makes us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> um let's move on from Bael taking a bath. So he gets to the camp and he's surprised and shocked to see that it's there's Romulans and Klingons there. And he just went to look for his dad, thinking his dad was in a, a Romulan prison camp. But that turns out not to be the case. What do we think about the way Worf's perception of them changes throughout the course of the episode, but also the way Worf changes them? Because there's lots of examples of how Worf changes them, like shown by El the, the Klingon armor and the Datach knife, and then the game with the hoops and the spears, the Ka, Kafa, I think it's called, which is used to train hunting skills. And there's the other spear, um, the Gintok, spear that's not used for tilling soil it's used for it's used for battle so lots of wee things that um truths that come out that Worf tells Klingon people in the camp yeah so Worf is once again challenged between his two worlds between his two mindsets of worlds right um so you know Worf Worf raised by humans and being a Starfleet officer has has a Federation mindset and then Worf then also through his own exploration, um, not necessarily through guided guided exploration as we as we see has this has this this world of the Klingons which he kind of has created in his mind through his own exploration. So I think one of the first things he, he sees here, and I think it's one of the first times, and then it's explored in T, in uh, Deep Space Nine more is. Worf realizing that that the Klingon people and their culture isn't as pure as the writings of Klingon, right? So, mm. so like it, it, when he Worf is like, "Well, how did you let this happen?" Right? Because Worf is thinking of black and white Klingon. This is what Klingons do. You would have never let this happen. You would have never allowed yourself to live in peace with Romulans. Right, like that's just not anything mm-hmm. in his in his realm of imagination of what Klingons do, but but they did. So he's he's. I think it's really. I really do think it's for the first time in TNG where he's challenged, maybe the second time, where he's challenged of these Klingons are not behaving in what I I read and studied to believe to be the way Klingons should act and behave. So that 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 realization's one of them. But then he has to grapple also with his with his Federation side where where the Federation believes in forgiving enemies at some point and believes in reaching out and making treaties and ending wars and ending grudges and and um diversity and things like that. So he kind of he 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 needs to come within himself to rectify 
those two, and I think that's where he's really challenged in this. Yeah, I think we see lots of different Klingon experience. We see Worf has been brought up by humans. We see these Klingons that have lived a lot of their life with Romulans. And then in other parts of the franchise, we see Klingons that have lived as Klingons for other life. So they're very different kind of lifestyles that they've all been brought up with. Amy, what were you going to say? Yeah, I agree with you, Pierre. It seems like whenever we see Worf dealing with his Klingon side, he's so black and white. And he just goes off of those teachings of Kalas and the history. And, you know, when you hear stories like that, it's always through rose-colored glasses. And it seems to be very black and white. And so he comes across this settlement where it is not. And he has to come to grips with this. And it just seems like every single time Worf comes in, he's very judgmental. You should be doing this. You haven't taught them this. And that his way is the right way, according to him. Therefore, it's got to be the right way for every single Klingon. And he doesn't seem to grasp that there's going to be gray areas, that you have to look at the situation. There is not going to be one rule, one correct way to live as a Klingon. And so to see him make those changes and Bael sort of... Uh, talks to him and points this out. It's like, well, you learn to love me and I'm half Romulan. Can't you learn to live here and stay here? Uh, so I like that she points that out to him. Uh, but it just seems like every single time Worf just comes in so judgmental. And so you need to do it the Klingon way. And you're right. Like there has been times like Guinan even points it out. Uh, Klingons don't laugh. Yeah, Klingons do. I've heard deep belly laughs, you know? And so it just is so interesting and probably the problem of episodic TV where Worf, every single time we see him, is has to relearn this lesson. I think Worf's a bit like a Thermian from Galaxy Quest. You know, the wee aliens and they, they learn about humans through the transmission of this TV show called Galaxy Quest, and that's what they believe about huma humanity. Worf believes everything about Klingons from Klingon writings, which are, I suppose it's like learning about humanity from the Bible kind of thing. Um, it's not necessarily true, um, although Worf's not really like a Thermian. But Worf is, like, that's kind of all he has to go on, too. Like, you know, mm, he's true. never really had anyone, and I, you know, and we see that later with Mortok on Deep Space Nine, where he he's the first person that really kind of kind of teaches him the way. You know, because if you really think about, Worf is very, very human and very Federation. You know, they're they're his friends. They're his. That's kind of where he belongs. And then he's never experienced the true Klingon mm -hmm. way, which is a bit of drunken debauchery and laughing and getting into fights all the time. Right. Because he was so strong as a child, he had to learn to kind of rein in his, his more basic instincts to not get into fights because humans, he would end up... Did he not nearly kill somebody? Yeah, he killed a, a kid child? playing soccer. Almost. Did that, yeah. Oh, almost? I thought he almost, did. Almost, did he? Pretty sure it's almost. I'm not sure, but I know there was something that happened in the... Yeah. In, in the yard, in the schoolyard. So one thing I was thinking about, like we get Worf and he's now being told he cannot leave. And one thing that I do like about Worf is that when he gets down to his lowest low, he, he does rely on his Klingon culture 
to sort of get through the hard times. And so we see him out in the courtyard where he's starting his meditation of the Makbara, this yoga, you know, meditation. Tai Chi kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and it got me thinking, you know, he's, he's in despair and he needs to clear his mind. And he says that these, you know, uh, it helps clear the mind and center the body. And he also, we see them like telling stories. And I think that that helps to clear his mind and like center himself in the Klingon culture. So I wanted to ask you guys, when your life gets overwhelming, how do you clear your mind and center your body? Pierre? I pray. Um, I'm a Christian, so I, you know, I pray. I, I kind of... I do things that make me feel better. You know, I'll, I'll play video games. I'll, I'll go for walks or I'll play with my Star Trek toys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of what I do when, when I start getting frustrated and such. There's definitely things that I do when things get too much. Sometimes I'll just like sh- completely shut down and like I won't speak. And sometimes I'll just go and lie down and like have my like life face down like uh, an emu with its head in the sand. Just kind of sensory deprivation and cut everything else out. Amy, what about you? Well, when I get overwhelmed, pretty much my go-to, and I know this is going to sound really weird, um, is I need to clean. Oh. So I, I cannot function in dirt, especially when I get overwhelmed. So at school, if my kids are just on my nerves... I start wiping down tables and I love having clean whiteboards. And so I do the whole process. I have, you know, I do, I have this process and procedure that I go through to make sure everything is just spick and span clean. When I'm at home, I, again, just start cleaning if things get overwhelmed. And another thing that I like doing is list making that just the organization just really helps my mind to feel like, I guess when I'm overwhelmed, I feel like I'm out of control. And so that's one way that I feel I can get back into control. Well, I can control how clean my classroom is. I can control, you know, what I'm going to do next and that prioritizing, but that cleaning motion, just the repetitive motion of it helps to soothe my mind. So I clean when I get overwhelmed. That's my meditation. I think something that's quite similar that a lot of people do is doing something that's really, really simple, Mm -hmm. but repetitive. Yep. Just something that their minds can just focus on and it takes their mind away from whatever they're concerned about. Or if you're at work and you've got a million tasks to do and like most of them are insurmountable and that's why you're in that state in the first place, you pick the simplest ones like typing names into a spreadsheet. I love doing that. Yeah. Because you just, you just sit and type and it's, it's a bit like working in a factory and just being on the line. Yeah. It's repetitive and it's just something your brain can get into easily. Mm-hmm. And obviously the other thing that we all do is watch Star Trek is yes. to tackle that. But that's a given. Nobody really had to mention right. that. Yes, we all do <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Every day. Cool. Um, can we, we have to give a shout out to some of the people that were in this episode. We've already mentioned James Cromwell playing the Eridian, but we had Jennifer Gatti playing Bayel, who also played Libby in the Voyager episode 
non sequitur. Mm -hmm. I've always said non sequitur, like the scissors for cutting your plants in the garden. Now, we did remember we interviewed we Jennifer Gotti. That is, listeners, if you haven't had a chance, Earl Grey 297. And she was just delightful. And watching this, because she talks about when Worf or Michael Dorn and her kiss and their Klingon noses make that popping sound. I totally yes. laughed when they kiss and I'm like, pop, pop. <laughs> it's funny. But also we have Richard Heard playing Lacor, one of the Klingons. And we all know Richard Heard as a human who played Admiral Paris in Voyager, Tom Paris' dad. Oh, I But he that. also played the Supreme Commander John, the leader of the visitors from the TV show V. 1983. Mm. Amy, you're going to tell me you haven't seen V, aren't you? Not the TV show. What? Amy, what is wrong with you? Pierre's shaking his head too, so yeah. you're outnumbered. Not seen yeah, V? Never, no, you said 1983. Never even heard of it. Really? V? Where the big UFOs come down? The UFOs and they basically plant themselves like above every major city around the world. Oh, now that and does look sound human. familiar. And they all have wear, like wear orange. Well, you're thinking of Independence Day, <laughs> where the aliens similarly oh, yeah, kind of right. planted their big giant spaceships and then proceeded to destroy all the, the cities. But the Vs were reptilian, but they covered themselves with human-looking skin. But you, they, you could you could rip it off and expose the reptilian. Wow. But they basically no. came to Earth to harvest humans and steal all the fresh water. Because their planet was dying. Can't believe you've not nope. seen V. Oh, it's ah. I'm you this see it during lockdown. This is something to do during lockdown. We will have some listeners that will have seen it, so let us know in the Babel <sighs> conference. I am shocked. It's like an American TV show as well. How can you not have seen it? Is it we, not we in don't, the... Joe, we don't see every American TV show. Like we watch a lot of TV, <laughs> but we don't we don't see every one. But is it not a, like a rule when you <laughs> pledge allegiance to the flag or something and you have to say who's on a $10 bill and the the Liberty Bells in Philadelphia and that kind of thing. Mm. Do you not have to answer questions when you turn 18 to prove you're an American? No, not if you're born here, Joe. Okay. Do you know what? I think I could probably pass an American citizenship test. Probably could. Because I've seen the Goonies and War Games and Short Circuit in all those classic American movies. I just watched Flight of the Navigator. Oh, that's brilliant. Yes. Compliance. Why did you watch it? Because there was nothing else on. Oh, no, because it popped up on my Facebook feed the other day. Wow. Somebody posted about it. Will we do final thoughts? Or, Pierre, was there anything you wanted to add? I, I, I guess just at the end we, that Worf really inspired these these young people to to want to know more. Like, not necessarily to to be really strong Klingons, but to just want more out of life. Like, I want to go and see what else is out there. And his willingness to to make that point where he was he was ready to die for it. True. Yeah, because they had them up in a firing squad, and then the young Klingon teenager guy came out with the Klingon battle yeah, armor talk, on, talk. and he was like, he was going to talk. Yeah, he was going to defend Worf and basically not allow the Romulans to. To kill him, um, I think there's like there's definitely a case of Stockholm syndrome going on there. Yes, they they believed that they were happy and that was their life and their 
their place in the world and they were just happy to live that way. But the Romulans didn't really allow them to see anything else. Yeah, that's a really good point because when uh, the daughter, Bael, asks, well, father, can I go to, you know, Romulan? It's not the Klingon homeworld or the Romulan homeworld, whatever it's called. Romulus? Yeah, Romulus. You know, and it's like, no, you can't. And then it's like, oh, we are prisoners. We are stuck here. Mm -hmm. Like that light, their eyes opening as to really what's happening. You you don't see it unless you get this other perspective that Worf brought to them. Yeah, and and Worf's speech at the end was is really powerful and really good too. And it kind of, it you're right, Amy. It it shows how they are prisoners. You know, it's it's it almost feels like he's like liberating like a third world banana republic country. Like he gives the I'm being executed because I brought something dangerous to your young people. Knowledge knowledge of their origins knowledge of the real reasons why you're in this camp um and you know and that kind of brings that it brings it all it kind of brings it to Worf being a liberator you know Worf is Worf just he just told them the truth about things um and how dangerous that is to to people that don't want the truth to come out and people that are hiding the truth and Worf at the end says that he they, they have to keep the secret going for the people that want to stay there um, for the people that want to leave, that's fine. You can go leave and see the universe, but you must never tell about this place because these people are happy with their lot here and want to stay safe. Because you know there'll be people from both Romulus and Kronos that would want to liberate everybody regardless of whether or not they wanted it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pierre, thanks for being on our oh, day again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a blast. Yeah, because last time you were on, I wasn't. So That is true. I was like, let's get Pierre on. So thank you so much for coming on and for choosing uh, to talk about Birthright. I think we had a really good discussion. So thank you. Thank you. And I missed seeing your giant oversized Star Trek toys. Yeah, you see, that, that's me and my two kids and my wife. Awesome. They're custom made by, uh, yeah, by a friend of mine. He custom makes the Playmates. So he created my family. That's so cool. You have to post some pictures on the Babel okay, conference. I will. That's that's amazing. I love that. Did you make yourself a commander? Um, yes, because I'm an assistant principal. So when I was yeah. when I was a school counselor, I was wearing a blue shirt. Ah, uh, nice. Then when I okay, became an assistant principal, out. yes. Cool. Yeah, I would never get above ensign. I don't want the responsibility. No, you're not a department head anything or anything like, like that. Oh no, I don't want to. I, I'm quite happy being just a, a classroom teacher. No promotion for me, please. Thank you. Not for a billion pounds. Maybe for a billion pounds. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Cool. Pierre, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on? Sure. I'm, a, I'm at Twitter at um, P-L-A-R-O-C-C-O-2-1. Um, I'm always at the Babel Conference on fa- on Facebook, so you can find me there too. And then I have a Facebook page where I um, I take my Star Trek Playmate toys, and I make comics out of them and such. That is, um, it's Holodeck 3 is the name of the Facebook page. You can find me there too. Well, it's been so much fun talking about Birthright today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. Narek is a character not really working for me right now. You don't like the uh, sexy, sultry bad boy of the Romulan Empire? Oh, 
I guess, but I don't know. Sometimes I think of like <laughs> if he's the sultry bad boy. It's kind of like if Ross from Friends were the bad boy. Like he's trying to be cool. I I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> he really likes other pants too. So Earl Grey. And Data's head gets sewn back on his other body, so we have two different parts of Data now. Okay, so by sewn on, do you mean like stitched with fabric? <laughs> well, how else are you going to attach a head to a body? Um, electromagnetic interlocking. But then know. with the skin? Well, yeah, you know. Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. Asking the fans what they want is a kind of folly. They'll know it when they see it, and they'll reject it if it's crummy. Somebody said to me early on, well, you can't kill Spock. I said, sure you can kill him. The only question is whether you kill him well. To the journey! Something drastic like that must have happened because that's my big question. Like, okay, why does Seven feel like she has no family? What about her Voyager family? Yeah. Where are they? Why aren't they in her life? It could be she's self-isolating. For some reason, she just kind of fell out with everyone and has been hanging out in the former neutral zone for some reason or she's another. She's looking but for toilet paper. Looking for toilet paper? Do the Borg need toilet paper? Everyone Ooh. needs toilet paper. Can you imagine what a Borg toilet would look like? It would be it's green. Weird. Well, probably. <laughs> yeah, you remember when they had colored toilet paper? No. No. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it will come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm so amy where can people contact you when you're not tilling soil with a weapon (laughs) i know Worf was so disgusted when he saw that (laughs) well you can find me over on united federation of podcasts where i host all good things with patrick devlin you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And of course, you can find me right there in the Babel Conference. And Joe, where can people contact you when you're not bowling with a hoop? Who was bowling with a hoop, Amy? Talk was. And Worf taught yeah, him was... and you put the spear through the hoop. Oh, you're talking about Kafa. Yes. The game. Yes. Which isn't a game. It hones the skills for the hunt. It does. 
bowling with a hoop. How insensitive to the Klingon way. <laughs> hey, the, as far as talk knew, that's what he was doing. There was no meaning behind it. Sure. Seems like a really big target. Yeah. I think he needed to take five steps back. Yeah, maybe a little hoop and you throw it and then you have to... And there was no proof it actually went through. Yeah. Anyways, when I'm not doing that, you can get me on the Babel Conference. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com or you can tweet me on the Twitter at joyjo77uk. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more. Available through our special patrons website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers and understand during this difficult time of COVID-19 how precious your money is. So thank you to Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Magda to mo, shoja duro, yaja keo, yaja keo, yaja keo. Majak odu, shijak majdu. Padak chaba vudak juko tebe degu muga todu yajakeo yajakeo yajakeo